0: To welcome you, whether you're in the building or watching online, it is great to have you with us. My name's Bart Elwack. I'm minister here at Emmanuel Church. We've called our carol service Glory to the Newborn King. That's what the readings and carols all say about Jesus that He is a King. But what kind of king is he? Maybe you love the monarchy in this country. Maybe you don't care that much about it. Either way, you couldn't miss all the coverage in September of the death of Queen Elizabeth II, her lying in state and her funeral, and the proclamation that Charles had become King Charles III, and we await his coronation next year. So we have a new king. But the king whose birth we celebrate this evening and every Christmas is, of course, a very different kind of king. Jesus is different from all kings and queens and any leaders of nations, prophesied about hundreds of years before he was born, announced by angels, visited by shepherds. But what kind of king is he? How does he reign? What kind of kingdom is he king of? Well, we will see as we go through the service. Welcome to you all. Whether you're, uh, you've been a member of Emmanuel for many years or if this is your first evening with us, it's great that you're here. Do stay after the service. There'll be mulled wine and mince pies served through in the hall. Uh, do stick around for that. So you know uh, if you want to use the facilities at all, the toilets are, if you head through the doors that you came in through, head to the right, through the hall, and on your left. They're there. Uh, And I need to let you know where the fire exits are, which are, uh, if you need to, do you head back out of the doors you came through or you go through the first door on the chancel, and that will lead you out as well. The service will proceed mainly unannounced, So please uh, uh, go through the order of service, follow through on the order of service, uh, stand when it says carols, and for everything else, stay seated. I'm going to begin our service with a prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, as we hear of the birth of Jesus all those years ago, open our eyes to his glory and majesty. Humble us to bow before him as king and fill us with joy that he came to save his people and establish his eternal kingdom. Amen. Please would you stand to sing our first carol once in Royal David City.
1: A prophecy from around 700 BC about the birth of a king. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. from that time on, and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this.
2: Greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth
0: He's a scientist, an engineer, uh, and uh, many feel that science and faith can't go together. So I wanted to find out from him how he became a Christian. Now apologies, um, as this was found, I obviously lent a bit to the right. Not politically, physically, I lent a bit to the right. So don't let that distract you as we go through this.
3: Uh, So let's have the interview.
0: Phil, thank you so much for being willing to be interviewed uh, to tell us how you became a Christian. Uh, It'd be nice, first of all, to hear a bit about your family
4: background. I was uh, born in Windlesham in Surrey. I had um, a lovely, um, loving uh, home life, uh, family life, and uh, really was uh, very appreciative of that and thankful for that. And before you became a Christian, uh, what were the questions that were going around in your head? I've been an engineer most of my life, and because I have a mind that, that likes to find answers to things, um, I, I certainly had a lot of questions around what the origin of life was, um, and why anything existed, why the universe existed, what was the origin of the universe. I also had a question around my own place in the universe, and uh, what, what my point of existence was, what, what I was perhaps here to do. And- What were the answers that you were getting that that helped sort of point you to Christianity um, for those questions? I I joined um, a youth group um, locally in Virginia Water. That was run by by Christians. um, And they talked about the Gospel. um, They talked about the big narrative, uh, the big Christian narrative of how God created the universe and um, was intimately involved with the universe today um, and with our lives and is the one who sustains us and um, keeps us living, keeps the the laws of the universe working. Um, And I think I found that very convincing um, as as an answer to why we're here and to what my place in the universe actually is. That We have a a God who actually intervened in the world, um, sent Jesus to come, come and be part of the world, to save us, to save us from... Uh, some of the terrible things we do, naturally, as, uh, as human beings. <laughs> and so then, um, then you became a Christian at some point, but can you tell us,
0: when was that? What, and what happened to, to actually bring you to faith in peace?
4: So as part of going along to the, the youth group, um, the, the people there um, were involved with um, something called Mission to London, which was been run by South American evangelist Louis Palau, um, that was in about 1982, when I was about 14. So I went along to uh, one of the evenings. Um, I heard the gospel. Now gave a very clear gospel message, um, how Jesus had come to this world, was God, and had come to, to save us, save us from our sins. Um, and for me, I think on that night, um, it, it really clicked into place. And I think the answers I've been hearing about why we're here and about how God has the answer to life and and the answer to to our existence really made sense. Um, And so I committed uh, my my life to Jesus on that night. Um, Because yeah, I think the answers um, all all kind of fell into place. um, And the gospel made sense for me. And it's wonderful that it did. Um, Becoming a Christian, part of
0: becoming a Christian is submitting to Jesus, Jesus as king uh, of your life. Was there anything that you had to change straight away um, as, as a follower of Jesus with him as your king?
4: So I can remember particularly um, being challenged by God straight away to change my use of language. I think as a young teenager, um, I used sort of swear words, I used God's name as a swear word and you know, Jesus' name. And I remember being challenged on that straight away and that was something that, that God said, that needs to change. Um, <laughs> So that changed, I think, over a, over a um, period of time, over the first sort of year or so of me becoming a Christian, um, and and that one, I, I think, that one stays with me because it was it was a big thing and um, was something where I really realised that God was real and um, did did sort of intervene and care about my life uh, wanted to guide me in, in the right ways. So you became a Christian back then
0: when you were about fourteen. Um, Time has gone on since. Are you still
4: as sure about Christianity now as you were then? I would say I'm more convinced now um, than I've I've ever been um, of God's existence um, and of the Christian message and of the importance of following Jesus every day. On a daily basis, I think I I find new questions and God, God gives me answers. He gives me answers in his word. He gives me answers in the things he says to me directly. So so I'm I'm absolutely convinced of the the truth of the Christian gospel um, and the fact that we need Jesus in our lives to actually have a life worth living and a life that is to the full and and as God wants it to be. Thank you so much, Phil, uh, for doing this interview. Thank
1: you.
0: wanted to introduce our next choir item, which um, Brian Mayhew, our wonderful uh, musical director this evening, um, who's playing the organ, leading the choir, doing all sorts of things. uh, He set a poem by Anne Bronte to music. Anne is probably the least well-known of the Bronte sisters, who published novels and poems in the first half of the 19th century. As was common with female authors of the time, they had to publish under pseudonyms. And the poem, Music on Christmas Morning, was included in 1846 in a collection of works by all three sisters. She wrote under the name of Acton Bell. Her strong faith shines through and she writes how Jesus, the sinless, saviour king, gave his life for all of us so he could lead us back to God.
5: now, starting by praising God, then giving thanks for Jesus, our Saviour. We'll pray for our world and our community, those who are unwell or in need, and then we'll say the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father in heaven, we come before you in praise and worship. For you are the one true living God who created and sustains the heavens and the earth and all things in them. You are the everlasting God who keeps all his promises and who works out his purposes down through the generations and the ages of history. In Psalm 145 we read these words which King David wrote. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. And so we praise and glorify your holy name. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, in this period of Advent, as we look forward to Christmas when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we give great thanks. For his birth in the town of David is good news of great joy that is for all people. In the first chapter of Matthew's Gospel, we read that the angel told, told Joseph that Mary will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy in sending your son, Jesus Christ, to be our saviour. Thank you that on the cross, he bore the sins of all those who trust in him so that through faith, they may be washed clean of their own sin and gain eternal life with you. Thank you, Lord, amen. Amen. And we pray that the Holy Spirit will be at work in the hearts of everyone hearing this good news, those here this evening, and indeed everyone of all nations, in all countries, and in all languages at this time of year. May the Holy Spirit help each one of us to see where we stand in relation to you, most holy and righteous God, and realize our need of Jesus in order to be saved from our sins and made right with you. Thank you that you sent Jesus for this purpose. Thank you that we have your word in the Bible from which to learn and understand this. And thank you that this gift of salvation is open to all who repent of their sin and put their trust in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now we pray for our world. We pray for the soldiers and citizens of both Ukraine and Russia who are caught up in the war and ask that you will bring about a breakthrough in diplomacy which can end that conflict swiftly. That power and heating in bombed towns and cities will continue to operate through the cold of winter and that you will bless the efforts of organizations providing aid and support to those in need. In this country, we pray that you will bless those in government and in positions of authority with good judgment and with ability to govern well. And in particular, we pray you would grant them wisdom to deal effectively with the higher cost of living, the threat of strikes, and the pressures on our health system. And locally, we pray that you would bless the work of organizations who seek to provide help in our local communities, including Kingston Church's Action on Homelessness and the Kingston Food Bank. We ask that you would enable them to get the resources they need to meet the increased demand for help as more people struggle to make ends meet. Amen. Finally, Lord, we bring before you those who are unwell or suffering in some way, those who are bereaved, and those finding life difficult. You know the situation and hearts of each one, and so we pray that you will bring about healing and respite where it is needed, and that through the work of the Spirit, they will turn to you as the God of hope and find encouragement and strength in you. Heavenly Father, we commit all these things to you In the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, Amen. Now we'll say together the Lord's Prayer. You'll find the words in your carol sheet. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins
7: a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with an angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests.
8: is dead. Long live the king. But who is he? What will he bring? What will change? What will stay the same? Not my king, some people call, and eggs are thrown. A monarchy with mockery. Remember another king who was mocked. The king of the Jews who was crowned with thorns. But that king came in a different way. He had a carpenter for his father and a teenage mum, not a duke and princess as parents. There was no palace for his birthplace, no room at the inn. And that king had shepherds to welcome his birth. The night watch out in the fields were alerted by angels not a notice on the gate. There was no other pomp or ceremony at birth or death, and not much of either in between. But this was the king who came to die. This is the king who lives again, who came to rule our hearts, but not with military might. This king. Is to be worshipped and fully obeyed. He's the Lord of glory, the King above all kings. What is Jesus' kingdom like? He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn, first the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the corn is ripe, He puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come.
1: The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then, in his joy, went and sold all that he had and bought that field.
0: Thank you so much to everyone who's been involved in this evening, uh, in this service. Thank you to uh, Brian leading the choir. Let's give the choir a round of applause. For... I could feel that you wanted to, but it was just that you were in church and therefore felt that you shouldn't. But uh, well done. Thank you so much for, for singing for us. Uh, thank you, Brian, for for leading us as well. Thank you, Cara, for that poem as well that she wrote and really fits so beautifully with this service. What kind of king is Jesus? That's how we began the service. What kind of king is he? What kind of leader? Is he like King Charles III or Queen Elizabeth II? Is he a leader like Boris or Liz Truss or Sunak? Is he a Putin or well, the answer, of course, is he isn't like any of them. We're going to just pick out three things that were in the readings that are unique to Jesus, the King. They set Jesus apart and mean that we should all pay attention to him, Even though he was born 2,000 years ago, we should all pay attention to him because of these three things, whether actually you call yourself a Christian or not. Now, we've only got time to touch on each of these three things. I hope that they will spark in you a desire to want to find out more. So the first is this. It's who the king is, who Jesus is. And for this, um, I turn to the first reading. You can turn to it if you want to, but I'm just going to pick out um, a couple of words from it, actually. The first reading, it's on page four. It's Isaiah 9, and it's in verse six that I wanted to pick this up. Now, bear in mind, this was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. 700 years before he was born. Yet it prophesies the birth of the king. It prophesies the birth of Jesus. And did you notice uh, in verse 6, towards the end of it, there are four descriptions of Jesus. And the second is the one that I want us to focus on. It is where it says that he will be called Mighty God. Now that is quite a title to have, isn't it? To be called Mighty God. I mean, various kings have various sort of additions to their names, don't they? It was said at one point that maybe it would be good if Queen Elizabeth were called Elizabeth the Faithful. But there have been others, haven't there? Richard the Lionheart or Ethelred the Unready. Jesus is called Mighty God. Now, that is, of course, an incredible claim. The question is is it true? Is he actually God? come to live on earth well clearly jesus's followers came to the conclusion that he is god but you might think yeah those people back then they were likely to believe that kind of thing maybe they were a bit more well we don't want to call them gullible but maybe that is a bit like what they were they would just of course they were going to believe that kind of thing they'd believe anything But we're after the Enlightenment, we're scientific people, we have higher standards of proof. If we'd been there, we wouldn't have come to that conclusion, would we? Well, be aware, of course, there are plenty of scientists today, including Phil Bartholomew, who has come to the conclusion that Jesus really is God. But also, we need to realise Jesus' disciples weren't actually ready to believe anything. They weren't ready to believe that a person could be God. After all, they were Jews. And in spite of this prophecy, the idea that a person could be God was just unthinkable. It would be blasphemy for them, for any to claim to be God. So when Jesus, in his life, then starts doing miracles and making claims that only God could make the Jewish leaders of the time don't sort of bow down before him saying well of course you're God we're ready to believe anyone's God no they decide to kill him for blasphemy neither they nor the disciples were actually ready to say that a person could be God and yet it is staggering isn't it that That is the conclusion they came to. Thomas, one of Jesus' followers, after Jesus has died, risen to life again and appeared to them, Thomas then bows before Jesus saying, My Lord and my God. And Jesus doesn't tell him off, but says that he is blessed. The disciples were like us. They needed persuading, but they came to the conclusion that he is God. Can I ask, have you looked at the evidence for yourself? Because if he is mighty God, we really must pay attention to him, mustn't we? His words carry the weight of the words of God. So the first unique thing about Jesus' kingship is who he is, that he is God himself. Second thing is how he establishes his kingdom. And for this, I turn to Luke chapter 2 and verse 11, which is on page 15. Again, you don't have to turn to it. I'm just going to pick out one little bit from it. On page 15, in Luke chapter 2, and it's verse 11... So the angels declare to the shepherds this. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, Messiah, there is a royal title. It's a kingly title. So again, we've got this theme of kingship. But the angel also says what Jesus was going to do, that he's a saviour. Now, how does he save? Just put yourself for a moment in the shoes of some first century Jews, Israelites. If they hear that a king has been born, who's going to save them, what are they thinking? Well, we need to remember that they lived in an occupied country. The Romans were ruling. And therefore, if you're going to have a king, a Jewish king who's going to save them, Well, he's going to defeat the Romans, isn't he? He's going to create an uprising, storm Jerusalem maybe and and get rid of the Romans from there and set himself up in Jerusalem in the palace there. But Jesus doesn't do that at all in his life. In fact, there's an intriguing moment at one point. It's recorded in John chapter 6. Jesus has just done a staggering miracle he's just fed 5,000 people over 5,000 people from just a tiny amount of food it was an amazing miracle and it says Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force withdrew to a mountain by himself if Jesus Had wanted to overthrow the Romans and set himself up as an earthly king, he could have done it. That was the moment. The people wanted it. The people were ready for it. They wanted to make him king by force. So he withdraws. It's not the way he's going to establish his kingdom. How does he do it? Not through an uprising. Not through gathering an army and battling the Romans. No, over and over again, Jesus says he has a mission. He has a purpose. He's going to go and do it. And it is to go to Jerusalem, but to be killed, to die. That is how he does his job of being a saviour. That is how he establishes his kingdom. Not through force, but through his own death. Now, how does his own death establish a kingdom? Well, there's a brief explanation in the book of Colossians. Paul, writing to Christians, says this, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul is saying, for Christians, there is a transfer of kingdom that has taken place. He says, we all live in the kingdom of darkness. I wonder if you can see that. Can you relate to that as you look at the world? Do we live in a kingdom of darkness? I think five years ago, if I'd said that, I would have had to have persuaded you of it. But I think now we see more clearly that we do live in the kingdom of darkness. Not just this nation, but the world is a kingdom of darkness. With the war in Ukraine, And all the suffering and death that has come with that, the global pandemic, injustices in Qatar, aren't we more aware that there is darkness in the world? And if we're honest, we know the darkness surrounds us too. We live, uh, some live with crushing anxieties, fears, depression, all sorts of problems around us but we also need to be aware that we contribute to the darkness it isn't just out there it's in here that's what the bible tells us that there is no one righteous not even one that there is darkness in our own hearts it comes out in all kinds of ways often we live just for ourselves we envy others we put others down And in so many other ways, the darkness spills out of our hearts. But Jesus came to be a saviour, to win forgiveness at the cross by dying for us. He literally died in darkness to take our darkness for us. So we can come out of the kingdom of darkness, be forgiven and come into his kingdom. A kingdom established through Jesus' sacrificing of himself. A kingdom established through love. And it's not only better to be in Jesus' kingdom, it's essential. We need it. Here is Jesus, the king, the mighty God, establishing his kingdom at the cross. Clearly here, Jesus is unlike any other king and world leader. Very often, what do we accuse world leaders of doing? Well, we accuse them of using their position and power for selfish gain. And that's often a fair accusation isn't it not always but it's not the case with jesus he establishes his kingdom through self-sacrificial love so that's the second thing the way he establishes his kingdom at the cross third thing last thing is the way Jesus' kingship is different from others is by the way his kingdom grows. Which is why uh, we had the last two Bible readings, the, the last Bible reading uh, that we had, um, which, if you wanted to turn to it, is on page 18. And these are not Christmassy readings, were they? The last ones weren't Christmassy readings. But I wanted them read because they tell us about Jesus' kingdom. Did you notice at the beginning, there are two passages actually in there, two Bible passages. And in both of them, Jesus starts, uh, well, he's telling stories to his followers to teach them things about the kingdom. And in both of them, they begin in similar ways. They say, uh, in verse 26, uh, it says, this is what the kingdom of God is like or verse 44, the the second one, the kingdom of heaven is like. Now kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, it's the same thing. But just notice there, Jesus begins both of them, the kingdom of God is like. In other words, and he did this many times, lots of stories where he had to say the kingdom of God is like. Why does he have to do that? It's because the kingdom is not like any other kingdom. It's not like the Roman Empire or the Kingdom of Israel from the Old Testament. No, he's saying, I've got to tell you what it's like. It's different. It's something, I've got to teach you it, and I've got to tell you stories about it. And I just want you to spot the second of the two stories. I would have told more about the first one, but realized I didn't have time. But the second one is the shortest parable. I think it's probably the shortest parable in the Bible. It's that one verse where Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Now notice that, what does that say about the kingdom? It's sort of hidden in some ways, isn't it? It's a treasure, but it's hidden, which is true, isn't it? Lots of people think of Christianity as being a bit dull, maybe. After all, You go through the countryside, drive through fields. One field looks a lot like another. You can't tell if there's treasure in one and not in another. They all just look like fields. Maybe I'm a city person. But they all do look quite similar, don't they? And they can look a bit dull. And maybe for some people that's what Christianity is like. It's a bit dull. It's about long services, uh, dreary hymns, and dull sermons. If that's your experience, it is a Christmas miracle that you're here this evening well done for being here on the outside maybe it seems plain and dull and ordinary but jesus goes on he says actually it's like a treasure hidden in a field and notice what the man does when he finds it it says when he finds it the guy hides it again then in his joy he goes and sells all he has to buy the field jesus says he he knows the treasure's there He loves it so much, he's so excited by it, he decides to sell everything he's got in order to buy the field.
8: Can you imagine
0: him going back home, he sells everything. Sells his Lego sets, if he's still got Lego sets, uh, and sells his house, his phone, all his possessions, things he's loved for years, family heirlooms, they're all sold so that he can buy the field. And notice will you that it says, then in his joy, He went and did it. So he's not doing it in a grumpy way. He's doing it joyfully. Yeah, I want to sell my leg. I want to sell my hat. Yeah, I'll sell it all. He's loving it. So he can buy the field. And Jesus is saying, that's how the kingdom spreads. Now, that's not how kingdoms normally spread. Jesus is saying it happens through joy and desire and excitement at who Jesus is. That's not how kingdoms normally spread. That's not how nations spread. When Putin wanted to grow Russia, what did he do? He sent in tanks and armies. It was devastating. He grew the country through bombs and guns and tanks. Jesus says his kingdom grows not through that, but through desire, by joy. Through person after person, seeing that Jesus' kingdom is worth giving up anything to be part of and therefore coming to him for forgiveness and go from the kingdom of darkness to his kingdom to be forgiven and come to him and it will mean giving things up phil bartholomew in his interviews spoke a little about what difference it made when he started following jesus one immediate change was about the way he spoke but there'll be other things And every Christian will say, yeah, there are times when following Jesus means I've had to give up things. But every time they will say, but Jesus was worth it. I wonder how you see Jesus and his kingdom. Do you see it as a plain, dull field? Maybe you think, well, anything else would be more exciting. Maybe you think you've done all the looking. You've been to church in the past and you've been to services. Maybe you've been to Emmanuel Church in the past and you think... Well, it's all right for those who want it, but it hasn't grabbed me. I've better things to do with my time. Maybe you've come to church week by week even, but if you're honest, you would say, I've never really seen Jesus and his kingdom as that greater treasure. If that's you, can I urge you to look again? You've seen the field, look for the treasure how could you do that well you could open up a bible and read about Jesus turn to one of the gospels and do it but uh, can I also encourage you to do it with someone else Uh, how about doing the digging with someone else Uh, maybe with uh, someone who brought you here this evening or uh, someone who comes to Emmanuel church how about saying to them could we investigate this together now I've just frightened people from Emmanuel church if someone says that to you, you you answer yes And let me tell you how you do it. You then just meet up, have coffee together, you open up Mark's Gospel, you read the first chapter, and you say, what does this tell us about Jesus? And you talk about it together. Write down any questions and ask someone, see if you can (laughs) find out answers, you can ask me, and I can try and help you. Just inquire, look into it together. Now, there are other ways that you could look into things. Keep coming to Emmanuel Church, Sunday by Sunday, (laughs) half ten, You'd be very welcome any Sunday. And you could do Hope Explored. There are invitations for that. As you leave, you can pick them up. It's a little three-session course that we run, uh, that I'm running. uh, And you can come and ask your questions and find out about the hope there is in Jesus. You can also, as you leave, you'll be offered a little leaflet. You could take that as well. It's free. Take it and have a read of that. How is Jesus unique as a king? Jesus is a king unlike any other. He is the mighty God. He establishes his kingdom through his self-sacrificial love at the cross. And his kingdom grows as person after person sees that Jesus is of far greater value than anything else in the world. And therefore comes and bows before him as their king. We're going to stand and sing our final carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Please stand. have a seat. Thank you for being with us. Uh, Do stick around, as I said before, for mulled wine and mince pies through in the hall. There is a retiring collection, no pressure at all to give, but if you would like to do so, money will go to Kingston Church's Action on Homelessness. Uh, You can see on the order of service, if you look on the back, there are various ways that you could respond to what you've heard this evening. Can I encourage you to think about how you will respond? Do come to other Christmas services. I just want to highlight on Christmas Eve, we've got our Christingle service. I think it's at four o'clock. You might want to check that. Four o'clock. It's a great service for children and families. Do come along to that. Uh, we'll get your Christmas Eve going. and There you go, four to five. Thank you, those on the projection, on the ball. Uh, get your Christmas Eve going really well to come along to that. So can I encourage you to come to that? I'm going to finish with a, a closing prayer. Our Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to this world. May we, each one of us, respond to him, the mighty God, who established his kingdom through the cross and whose kingdom is a greater treasure than anything else in this world. Help us to turn to him and through faith be forgiven and brought out of the kingdom of darkness and into his glorious kingdom. Amen. And may the the Lord bless us and watch over us. May the Lord make his face shine upon us and be gracious to us. May the Lord look kindly on us. And through faith in Jesus, give us his peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, be among us and those we love this Christmas and forever. Amen.